This is Radio Maria, a very warm welcome this afternoon. And as you can hear from the music, and if you're a regular listener, you'll know that this is our credo slot. And today we're very privileged to have one of our dear friends of Radio Maria, Mr. Derek Williams. Hello, Derek. Good afternoon, Eddie. Good afternoon, listeners. All right. And uh, I hope you had a, a very peaceful Easter with your family. And today, Derek's going to dive in to his topic which is the sabbath rest which i'm quite looking forward to this one derek as i always do but um in particular this one so what i'll do i'll hand over the airwaves to you and our dear listeners and in about 15 20 minutes we have a little music break and then maybe open up the phone line so over to you thank you very much eddie and uh, again good afternoon listeners so this is probably one of the most challenging topics that I have spoken out of over the years, and it's the least liked of all the teachings that I give to people, because um, the idea of rest is something that people like. They like the idea of it, but the actual practical um, resting, um, that's that, that becomes incredibly challenging in many ways. And so whenever I've given seminars over the years or conferences or retreats, my covenant retreat has always been well well attended. Uh, the Jubilee retreat, that's fine. Life in the Spirit seminars, they do well. Um, even contemplative retreats. But when I've actually tried to introduce a retreat on sabbatical or rest or something like that, it's not so welcome. And the message people like to a degree, but the practical application, therein lies the challenge. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go from Genesis chapter two and I'm going to break it open and I'm going to be kind of praying that the Lord actually helps you to embrace this. What is a, meant to be a real part of, of our Christian walk? We are meant to be having one day a week, which is dedicated to rest and worship of God. And if you like, for those of you who have family, dedicated to family life. So this is Genesis 2 verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it, God rested from all his work which he had done in creation. I want to remind you that this is the inspired word of God we're reading. And to take note of the words used in the inspired word, which clearly was originally written in Hebrew. But first it says God finished his work. He rested. Uh, he blessed. He hallowed it. And he rested. Okay, so the word rested occurs several times. And there's a beautiful time in the Hebrew language as well. You might say, hold on a minute. The word Sabbath doesn't occur. No, it doesn't, does it? Well, not in English anyway. Um, the word Sabbath is the Hebrew word for rested. So, Sabbat, God rested. Sabbat, that's the word that's actually used in the Hebrew language. Um, and there's also a little play on words because the, the word for seventh is Sebi or Shebi. So, you've got Sabbat and Sebi working together. The seventh day and the Sabbath day, the rest. All right? Now, so so Sabbath means rest, and God rests. But what does this rest mean? There's multiple things going on here, but I'm going to go first of all to our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II. He, in 1998, May the 1st, 31st, 1998, wrote a document entitled Deus Domini, the Lord's Day. This was written. Um, in a time where there was huge pressure on um, governments to, especially European governments, to change the Sunday trading laws. And our prime minister at the time was John Major, who, from what I remember, is an atheist, was an atheist. And, um, and he was under pressure in 1997 to change the Sunday trading laws so that people could work seven days a week, which we did and we do. Well, John Paul II kind of wrote this in response, and this is um, this is from paragraph 
11, where he's writing about God's resting on the seventh day. So here I'm just going to read it out. Okay? It would be banal to interpret God's rest as a kind of divine inactivity. By its nature, the creative act which founds the world is unceasing and God is always at work. As Jesus himself declares in speaking of the Sabbath precept, my father is working still and I am working. The divine rest of the seventh day does not allude to an inactive God, but emphasis, emphasizes the fullness of what has been accomplished. It speaks, as it were, of God's lingering before the very good work which his hand has wrought in order to gaze upon it, a gaze of joyous delight. This is a contemplative gaze, which does not look to new accomplishments, but enjoys the beauty of what has already been achieved. It is a gaze which, casts, which God casts upon all things, but in a special way upon man, the crown of creation. It is a gaze which already discloses something of the nuptial shape of the relationship which God wants to establish with the creature made in his own image by calling that creature to enter a pact of love or a covenant of love, if you like. So what are we saying here? What's John Paul II talking about in respect of God resting um, on that day? Well, if you were to go through Genesis chapter 1, and every now and then there's this beautiful phrase. This is Genesis 1 verse 12, the very last few words. After God has created all the vegetation, the dry land, etc., God saw that it was good. Okay, God saw that it was good. Okay, in um, verse 18, after God has created the lights in the stars, the stars, the galaxies, the sun, etc., God saw that it was good. Okay, then He creates all the living creatures. And in verse 25, God saw that it was good. Then he creates man. And in verse 31, God saw everything he had made and behold, it was very good. Now, when we read that, we're going to often read it um, separate from the Jewish concept of good. Well, here's, here's a little bit of the Jewish concept of good. This is in Matthew chapter 19, verse 17. Jesus speaking to the rich young man. The rich young man says, Teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And this is this is very much Hebrew thinking. Only God is good. The Hebrew word for good is tov. Um, if we were to, you know, uh, write it out in English, it'd be T-O-V. That word, tov, is only applied to God. Only God is good. God alone is good. Okay, And yet, when God is creating in Genesis 1, God himself, who alone is good, speaks out over the creation he sees it is good he sees everything he's doing everything he's creating is good so we can even apply this to ourselves when god created your immortal soul at the moment of creation what does what's spoken over that immortal soul god sees that you are good you're not good because of anything you, you will or will not achieve you're not good because of the way you behave or because of the clothes you wear, the food you eat and drink, um, the qualifications you obtain, the sporting achievements or non-sporting achievements, the musical talents. You're not good because of your talents, because of your achievements, because of your looks. 
you are good because you're made in God's image and likeness. That's what makes you good. Okay, so it's not about what we do or don't do. It's an ontological goodness in the depths of our soul. We are good because we're created in God's image and likeness. Now, obviously, we can get into moral good and moral evil, but I'm not going to go down that path. I want us to focus for now on the creative touch of God that is imprinted on the human soul and imprint on all creation. When God looks at creation, when we look at creation, we might look at it not really thinking about God. We might look at nature. We might look at birds, animals, the stars. We might admire their beauty, but not necessarily thinking about God. But when God looked at the creation, when he had first created everything, he sees himself in creation because everything is reflecting his divine beauty. Everything is. And, and by the way, the creation we have now is not what God would have gazed upon. I have to th throw that one in. What we look on is a corrupt creation. Okay, Paul makes that clear in Romans chapter eight. The whole of creation is 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 corrupted because of original sin. What we're looking at is effectively death. Death reigns over creation at the moment. That's what we're really looking at. So the beauty of the creation before the fall of Adam would have been vastly different, radiant with the glory of God. We need to understand that radiating the glory of God, as would Adam and Eve before the fall, Adam and Eve radiating the glory of God. And, you know, you see this in things like when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, he is radiating the glory of God. And yet Moses, even at that point, is a man fallen from grace. <laughs> he, he wasn't baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And it's not until we get to the New Testament that the radiance of the soul is transformed. So we go back to Genesis and God speaking over the creation. God saw it was good. So his contemplative gaze is looking at his creation, looking at the beauty of what he has done. And he is, if you like, he's resting in this, in the beauty of what he's achieved. Now, this is for us where we need to be at when it comes to our own sabbath rest um, we need to recapture the contemplative gaze that we were created for remember when john paul ii in that document let me just go back to it a moment um, he says here um, that he wants to establish with the creature in his image calling us to enter a pact of love, which is what God will gradually accomplish in Christ. Okay, so he the gaze is that God pours out upon the creation. Um, it discloses this neutral, neutral shape of the relationship that he wants with the covenant relationship of bride and groom. Okay, and God calling us into it. And the way he does it is one of the ways he does it is through the beauty, through the through the love that he has placed in creation. Remember, when God's doing works of creation and doing his own work of recreation, it's all an act of love. And therefore, there is love in absolutely everything that he's doing. Okay? So um, so just ponder the mystery of God's contemplative gaze in creation and God's call to you. Now, it's like I said at the start, when I talk about the Sabbath rest, people find it a challenge. The idea of not doing anything for one reason or another. But this is God's call. And so what I'm going to say to you right at the beginning of this, this series on the Sabbath rest is I'm going to um, invite you to recognize the grace of God calling you into a one day a week where he's calling you to time of rest uh, sometimes it's for most of us it can be the lord's day sunday but for some of you uh, doctors nurses and professionals in whatever industry it might have to be another day 
Um, and you're entitled to a day of rest. So what do we do? How do we live that day of rest? Everyone's going to be different. Um, if you take the wonderful Eric Little approach from Chariots of Fire, then uh, leave the football alone. <laughs> no, no putting on the running trainers, etc. Um, if and and uh, and the worship of God, and as as I said before, if you're with if you have family, time with family, the Sabbath, the Sun, the Lord's Day, our Sabbath, if you like, is a time for. And um, if you like restoration, recreation, renewing the relationship, those of you who are married, renewing the relationship with your spouse, for for strengthening the relationship with your children, for resting your body. Your body was not created to be constantly working. It was created to have one day a week, at least one day a week of rest. Now, I'm got a few minutes before the first song. What I want to do at this point is just go to a resource that I've been using for this these teachings. This is called From Sabbath to Lord's Day, and it's a compilation of um, writings written by various academics. And when I was reading this a few weeks ago, um, um, early on, there's a comment about the year of Jubilee. And I thought, oh, this would be a good linking point between what I did a few weeks ago and where we are at now. So I'm just going to read out this paragraph and then we'll go to our first song and maybe see if you want to come back, listeners, with any any challenges, any issues, any problems you have regarding a day a week off, a day a week of rest. So this is what the author says. The Sabbath as a sign of the covenant between God and the people of Israel was not only a weekly cultic celebration, a covenant feast that reinforced the knowledge about the covenant God, but it was also celebrated as a sabbatical year or year of rest for the land every seventh year. The year of Jubilee, which I was talking about two weeks ago, was a special sabbatical year. In this year, the sign of the covenant emphasized the covenant God as redeemer, liberator, and savior, which is how we know the Lord Jesus Christ. He restores his people and the land on which they live. Hear that. God restores his people and the land on which they live. In this year, um, sorry, the land takes an additional rest in this year. So the land itself, the dirt beneath our feet rests. Process that one, okay? And the people who had become servants were liberated. Land that had been sold in payment of debts reverted to its original owner. Thus, every jubilee was highlighting the Sabbath as a sign of the covenant, leading the people to special worship of the God of the covenant as redeemer and savior. Now just ponder that amazing language in the light of the Easter season in which we are in, where we've been celebrating the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And for those of you who have, last Sunday, celebrating the great feast of the divine mercy. Now what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go back to Eddie in the studio and I'm gonna come back afterwards and I want to talk to you a little bit about this divine mercy and how beautifully it ties in with the idea of Sabbath rest. Okay, Eddie, over to you.
Warm welcome back. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Credo here. And this afternoon, we've been listening to our dear friend, Derek Williams. And we're going to go back right now and uh, resume his talk. And I think, is it about, we just um, left off on the uh, Divine Mercy, didn't we? I did. I left a carrot of mercy dangling in front of the That's right. <laughs> so, All right. So let's crack on with Let us march away on this carrot. Munch away on the carrot of divine mercy. That's a phrase I never thought I'd use in my work as an evangelist. Thank you, Eddie, for the uh, little nudge of inspiration there. No problem. So, listeners, I hope you like carrots. Um, so, um, this is what the perpetual covenant is. Once again, I'm reading from this 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 book from Sabbath to Lord's Day. It's one of many books I have on Judaism and Sabbath and all sorts of stuff to do with the Jewish people and the Old Testament and so on. The Sabbath is a sign, a perpetual covenant between God and his people. This sign tells of God's grace, sanctifying his people, God's holiness for the people and Yahweh, and God's authority, a covenant which must be obeyed. Right. So we've got those three things. The Sabbath is a perpetual covenant. It is telling us of God's grace, God's holiness, and God's authority. Now, if we, and also there's a timetable, okay? It also speaks about um, the, it reminds us, the Sabbath reminds us of a divine timetable. And I want to, us to think about that in terms of we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate 40 days or so after Christmas to the proper end of the season, which is the presentation. We come into Lent, prepare for Easter. We have the Easter celebrations, the resurrection of Jesus. And then that flows on for the Easter octave and concludes on Divine Mercy Sunday, which was given to us by St. Faustino and John Paul II. So now I want us to ponder this mystery of god's timetable this seven day week this sabbath rest for the record folks um in the secular world in which we live easter finished around eight days ago <laughs> it lasted for one day and uh, the easter eggs have gone and they'll now be preparing to sell you all the stuff you need for the summer but for us as a people of god easter will continue 50 days from easter sunday to pentecost so we are not out of Easter. We are in the Easter season. We will stay in the Easter season until the outpouring of God's fire on Pentecost Sunday. That's the divine timetable in which we live. All right. Well, let's go back to, to Divine Mercy Sunday, the, the feast just gone. Jesus gave St. Faustina some beautiful promises, some very powerful promises. So for those of you who have lived these promises, the, 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 it's very, very simple. Okay, The Divine Mercy promise is very simple. You go to communion on Divine Mercy Sunday and you go to confession. Now, the church in its wisdom and in its authority has permitted us to go within a period of time from Divine Mercy Sunday. It doesn't have to be on that Sunday. I think you've got around 10 days to go to confession to gain the indulgence of Divine Mercy Sunday. And what is that indulgence? Well, normally when you go to confession, you will be, you will have all your sins will be absolved. Um, but the punishment for sin remains. There still is a purification to be undergone. If you go to confession on Divine Mercy Sunday or within a short period of that Sunday on communion, not only are all your sins absolved, but all the punishment for all of your sins is taken away which means if you die after that confession and on that around that feast day you will go straight to heaven there is no punishment for sins there is no purgatory because of the unique grace of that feast why am i bringing this into the sabbath rest because when i meet catholics especially but no no i take that back it's not just catholics people of every denomination there is this concept that we are working for our salvation. 
there is this strange idea that I have to get to heaven. And that is not really the way to think about our salvation. Our salvation is more about rest than work. It is more about what God does than what we do. And one of the beauties of the Sabbath rest is learning how to rest in the contemplative gaze of God and let God sanctify us, let God work his wonders in us. We are not meant to work our wonders in us. Now, here's where the challenge comes in. This is where the challenge gets really, really difficult. With divine mercy, let's take divine mercy, stick with that for the minute. People tend to be really focused upon the three o'clock prayer doing the chaplet. Okay, so there's this focal point of doing the chaplet every day and needs to be done at 3 p.m. That wasn't actually what Jesus invited us to do. Jesus, the, the chaplet can be said at any time. It's just become a tradition now where we do it at 3 p.m. Okay, St. Faustini used to say it all the time. So this is what we do. But the promise of Divine Mercy Sunday is simply breathtaking. And this is where we have our challenge because I have met so many Catholics over the years who will go to confession and receive communion on Divine Mercy Sunday, okay? I don't actually go to confession on Divine Mercy Sunday itself because since I found out you don't have to do it on the day itself, I think, okay, I can go a couple of days before or a couple of days afterwards, which is what I tend to do. But most people will actually go to a Divine Mercy Day and go to confession on that day. When I speak to these people, they still have this conviction that they're going to go to purgatory when they die. And I think, hold on. The promise of Divine Mercy Sunday is that you have had all your sins removed and all the punishment for sin has also been removed. So my challenge to you is, do you believe in the promise of God or do you not? Because the promise of God is that when he looks at you, when he gazes at your, his creature on Divine Mercy Sunday, and that day is going to be, for argument's sake, the last day of your time on earth. That is it. You bypass purgatory. You go straight to glory. And the church has got tools to even help you with this. It's got the final anointing before you die and something called the apostolic absolution, which gets rid of all your sins and all the punishment for sins as well. So a priest can give you these. It takes a couple of minutes and that is it. Straight to heaven. Now, so so what what how is this really tied in with the Sabbath rest? Because um heaven is what we call our eternal rest. You know, we say that prayer, eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let your perpetual light shine upon them. May they rest in peace. Okay. There is a I'm gonna keep going on. There is a conviction among many Catholics that they cannot bypass purgatory. There is a conviction, okay? What is the key to breaking free from that? Tres of Lisieux, a doctor of the church, gave us the key, trust. And once again, there's a challenge because it's not something you can do, okay? It's not about necessarily about how many rosaries you can pray, how many masses you can get to, how many divine mercy prayers, how much Bible you can read not about how much penance you can do it's not about all these different things that you can do it is about what god does that is so that is a really challenging part of this because we're having to place the trust for our eternal salvation not in our own hands but actually in the hands of another so he is entrusted with the internal salvation of our soul and that provoke that is a challenge for us because we can have this moment in life where we are as it were experiencing salvation for the first time but then as we go beyond that point in time we start to do things to help us attain salvation without realizing that actually salvation has been granted to us and everything that we might be doing charitable works etc are merely a response to the grace of salvation that has been given to us. And this is why, one of the reasons why 
our Sabbath rest is so vitally important because on the Sabbath rest, we are resting from all our meager efforts to curry favor with God, to curry favor with other people, to work, to live, to maybe attain something of salvation. We're resting from all those meager works and we are confronting ourselves and coming face to face with the God who actually does save us. You know, in the letter to Hebrews, it writes, his power to save is utterly certain. And before we go on to our final, uh, on to our second song, I'm just going to throw this thought out there for you, because, you know, I've read, I've read a few um, interesting um, theological teachings about, let's say, World War One, okay? And some of it's from C.S. Lewis and some of it's from Private Revelation. And it talks about how Jesus can save many souls or save many souls during World War One. And I said to my wife, because I've actually seen pictures of things happening, like a priest um, giving absolution to a whole group of German soldiers just before they headed off to fight in the trenches. And a few hours later, most of those soldiers were dead. But the priest had absolved them before they went. There's a beautiful photo of this on, on online somewhere. And I said to my wife just a couple of hours ago, I find it incredible that you've got a man with a gun running across no man's land to kill another human being. And he gets shot as he's charging. He gets killed in the process of attempting to kill. And by a miracle of grace, Jesus can save that soul. And I said, I find that incredible. And yet that's the sort of thing that we're hearing about. Now, um, I just process this because his power to save is utterly certain. So I'm going to hand over to Eddie for our second song of the afternoon, which I think is for King and Country. Would that be right? That's Pioneers? correct. That's the one I've got lined up here. And uh, thank you again for your second half of your of your talk this afternoon. And if any of our listeners would like to join in this talk, ask a question or just call in to say how great Derek is, you're more than welcome to it.
This is Radio The Real Video. Welcome back. You've been listening to Credo this afternoon. And our voice of choice, Mr. Derek Williams, who's been giving us very interesting talk. And he's just about to resume the uh, the third part now. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. So we're, we're building on our on our divine mercy thing scenario and on the Sabbath rest and the fact that, listeners, you are not the one who saves yourself. Okay, you have a savior, which means that you can rest easy. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why you're called to Shabbat. You're called to rest. Um, let me just read out a few things for you regarding the, the Sabbath from this beautiful book, the Sabbath in the Old Testament. Okay. First, you shall not do any work. What? Why can't we work on on one day a week? Why does God draw us into stopping one day a week? Well, partly because work is a beautiful distraction from the reality of our woundedness. When you stop work, especially for an extended period of time, like five or six hours, stopping work for an hour is great. It's a rest, it's a break. The body gets some, you know, you you feel the aches and pains in your body. You grab a cuppa, a bar of chocolate, and you take a break. And you think, oh, okay, that's good. That's a nice break. Maybe even have a natter. But when you enter into a real rest, a day, a full day, go to Mass or go to church, whichever denomination you belong to. Um, say some prayers, spend time with your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your your, your best friend. Um, and switching off your mobile, switching off the computer, maybe even leaving the teddy off for a bit. Having time to sit, ponder, read a holy book. This leads to a confrontation with the ego, with the self, and an encounter with God. And that is a powerful purification because one realizes that the deepest wounds of our soul, and we've all got them, can only really be touched by God himself, which leaves us completely helpless before his divine majesty. And that is a really, really good place to be. Because suddenly you realize that no self-help group, no course, no YouTube video, there's nothing out there that can actually cure that wound. It might assist in curing it in terms of might give you some advice or counsel or something, but it will not cure. God alone is, that's God's dominion. Your soul is God's dominion. And you have a savior who died, who specifically died, suffered and died at Easter in order to cure those wounds. He died for that. It's worth really taking a hold of that because when we say his power to save is utterly certain, we might think to ourselves, okay, so Jesus is going to get me to heaven. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Jesus is going to get you to heaven. And please, please don't come back at me with God helps those who help themselves. Please don't do that one, okay? You cannot get you to heaven. Jesus gets you to heaven. But also, it doesn't just stop there. By his wounds, you have been healed. That was Isaiah 53, read out on Good Friday. All right. By his wounds, you have been healed. It is Jesus' death and resurrection which brings healing and transformation to the soul. It's his death and resurrection. All right. So he has healed us in those deep wounds in the soul. He has set us free from sin and healed us. Let me go to another prohibition of the Sabbath. Okay. Um, you are meant to stay at home. All right. This is a prohibition. You are meant to stay at home. You're not to go out to work. You're meant to stay at home. This is the place of rest. And this isn't just a physical home. This is also the home, which is the heart, where God is calling you to an interior encounter with him. And I would emphasize that the, the Sabbath is an encounter with the living God. God wants you to enter into a powerful, personal, intimate encounter with him on the Sabbath day. Right? And I'll give you an example of this. When the Israelites were in Egypt, they were enslaved by Pharaoh um, and they were given up. They were surrounded by idols. Along goes Moses with a mandate from the living God, and 
the people of Israel are set free from Egypt after seeing God visit the Egyptians. Remember, God, God first of all revealed his power to the Israelites by um, showing how he has power over the Egyptian gods. He has power over demons. It wasn't until the Israelites left Egypt that they finally encountered the pillar of fire in the desert. So they have to turn away from Egypt before they encounter God. Now, the same is for us. God calling us away from our Egypt, away from our personal sin, away from our, if you like, our addictions and so on. He wants to call us away from them. He wants us to turn away from them and turn to him. And only in him are we going to find the fullness of the power of salvation. Okay. Now, I'm going to just ease off my little teaching accelerator here a bit. And we have got one more beautiful song that we want. But I want us to start praying a little bit um, because I want to pray for all of you listeners and I'm going to do something that I rarely do and um, sometimes I find it difficult to pray this kind of prayer but I think that we need to take the grace of salvation a little bit further than what we would normally do it um, you know every Easter we actually make Jesus our Lord and Saviour you know, we, we, we recite that. Do you reject Satan? Do you reject all his empty works? And we're going, yes, I do. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. So we're making Jesus our Lord and Savior. But what I want us to do is take that salvation deeper. Now, I want to I'm going to invite you, the listeners, whether live or on the recording, to invite Jesus into your heart to bring salvation into the very depth of your being into your area of greatest weakness where you have tried struggled and failed to overcome into your most painful wounds invite jesus into those areas of the deepest shame that you have the worst sins that you've ever committed and he, he's, he's, he's seen it all. There's nothing in you that he does not know. He knows you better than you know yourself. He is closer to you than you are to yourself. And that's not just from me. That's from me reading a beautiful book a few weeks ago on, on uh, the mystical life. Jesus is closer to us than we are to ourselves. So I invite you, listeners, right now, whatever you're doing, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my soul, come into those wounds caused by my father, my mother, brother, sister, myself, my enemy, my teacher, the police officer, the fireman, the lecturer, the sports coach, whoever caused those wounds, the stranger. I invite you into those wounds. And ask you also, Blessed Mother Mary, as Queen of my heart, to come in and to minister to my broken heart and help me to accept Jesus as my Saviour so that I stop trying so hard to attain salvation, but instead to accept salvation as the completely free gift that it is. If all I need to do is do my daily prayers, my times of silence, confession and the Eucharist, etc. But Jesus is the one who's going to get me to heaven. I'm not going to get me to heaven. Jesus is the one who's going to get me to heaven. And Lord Jesus, I ask you, to put my soul at rest. In Psalm 131. Truly I have set my soul in silence and peace. So Lord I ask you to set my soul at rest. Let my soul be a place where not only I am rested. But you are at rest in my soul. And. I'm going to pray especially for the ladies out there um, today. The last song I've prepared just for you ladies, 
And I'm going to speak over your eyes because I meet a lot of ladies who have really suffered at the hands of men. And I pray for them a lot, um, including my wife, who has suffered at my hands. And, uh, and I belong to several groups of men who we pray and fast for the women in our lives in a particular way. So I'm going to pray for you ladies, and I'm going to ask the Lord to come into your lives and to help you to see your beauty and your dignity as daughters of the living God. Your dignity does not, and your beauty is not based upon what you see in the mirror. It's based upon the beauty and the goodness that you are created in the image and likeness of God. And when you listen to this last song, it's, a, it's virtually its opening line is mirror, mirror. I hope this is the right one, Eddie. Is that right? Priceless. Start again. Start again. 